You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode... The Martians are coming in Fab Facts. We're brushing up on Greek mythology in The Randomizer. And Connor Flanagan sketches a scary story. Does he? Okay, well that's all coming up in Pod 229. That was supposed to be my big surprise impression of the Joey Anderson Podcast. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Uh, would you care, care to explain what? yourself what? there? What was that impression? I, I think I've given all the explanation I need to give, Jamie. I was uh, trying to do, because it's Halloween, a Vincent Price impression. Uh, well, in that case, I was, <laughs> yeah. it was a, a spooktacular Vincent oh, Price impression. Oh, uh, thank you impression. very much. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have any more in the... Oh, uh, no, what, two? In, two in, gags? In my that's Halloween it. pun bucket, I'm afraid that's all oh. I've got. Oh, okay then. Soz. Um, that's all right. Well, um, yeah, anyway. I can't think of anything either. Happy um, Halloween! Oh, yes, happy Halloween! If you do that, and if you yeah. don't do that, then you can just ignore any mentions of anything Halloween or spooky. It probably won't change much on this no, podcast, I suspect. it really won't. No, that's right. Uh, do you think we'll have a spooky fab fact, or a spooky interview, or a spooky well, randomizer? Or I mean, we've got well, I mean, Vincent Price just told us in the preview there that Connor Flanagan, mm-hmm. in the second part of your interview with him, is going to give us a scary story. And so I suppose, that to I suppose Operation Sabre has got a bit of a scariness to it. So yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So all then we um, need is um, is talk to the battery boy in the randomizer. Oh no! Come on, that's taking <clears> a bit too far. Isn't and um, Candy and Andy in Fab Facts, and we'll have Full oh. House of Spooks. How's that? Yes, it's terrifying. It's probably not going to happen though, because uh, both the randomizer and Fab Facts are, to some degree, random. But let's find True. out later in this episode. Now, are you doing anything for Halloween? Are you are you dressing up or? Um... Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm probably uh, turning all the lights off when the kids come round and knock on the door. That's, that's what I usually that's do. A bit Hide sinister. behind the sofa. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, because I don't want to give away any of my precious sweets. No, of course you'll be <laughs> stuffing they? them down your gullet. Well, thankfully, yeah. the the lane that I live down uh, in in rural Wales, I think, is yes. a bit scary anyway. Yeah, and so nobody really comes down here for uh, trick or treating or anything like that. So yeah, it'll be peaceful yeah. here. Anyway, look, yeah. you, the one that turns off the lights and hides for the kids, you're you're Richard James. <laughs> That's true. Creeping it real. <laughs> Creeping it real. Nice. Hey, how's that? Uh, yeah, that's great. No? Yeah, no, that's that's, okay. that's 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 great. And um, yeah, and fine. down the dark and twisted lane, it's me. I'm, yes. I'm Jamie Anderson, having a howling good time. Oh, always, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the randomizer, Chris Dalek. I mean, that's yes. kind of scary in and of itself, isn't it? The name from his Twitter uh, handle. What do you think? That's it. We don't need to go. For I'm a struggling. Well, can you get one? Can you can you squeeze uh, one out? Well, as we're talking uh, uh, Halloween puns, what about uh, maybe Chris lives on a pumpkin patch? No. Does pumpkin. he? Oh, pumpkin. Oh. No. Right. This isn't going to work. Let's just no, forget let's the whole Halloween there. thing. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, Fair yes, sir, this episode is going to be awkwardly brought to you by all yeah. things Halloween yeah, so, and spooky, which yeah. we're going to fail to do throughout. So, apologies in advance. Yeah. So, 
Hmm? Would you like a fab fact to get us moving? Oh, yes, go on. Then you don't oh. even want a rundown of what's coming up. No, that's well, fine. Just, let's just carry straight on. I've just realised that. Is that is that weird to yeah. not have a rundown? No, come on, let's go for it. Come on, that's fine. Oh, now I, I feel really fine. creeped out. Okay, let's do it. I'm, 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 now I feel terrified about what might happen. Let's now get, we haven't done let's it. Let's get the scariest part of the podcast out the way first, shall we? Okay, it's, it's uh, fang facts. <laughs> oh. oh. Now, time for this week's fab facts. Uh, yes, it's not Fang Facts, actually, it's just Fab Facts, because uh, I've got a yeah. book of Fab Facts. Mm-hmm. There it is. And uh, I flicked through it, and Richard shouts Fab. Do you want to shout something else this week? Do you want to shout Boo or something to make okay, it a bit Okay, I'll shout Boo. Yeah, sure. Okay, so Richard will shout Boo, and that'll stop me flicking, and there'll be a Fab Fact on a page, and I'll read it. And, you know, it might be scary, probably won't be, because this is random. Yeah. So uh, let's That's hope That's witchful a... thinking. We... Hey, it's like Go the on, ghost of Terry on. Adams here. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shall we? Let's do this. Here we go. Here comes the flicking. Ready with you, Boo? Yes. Off we go. Boo! Mm. Hey. Oh, I should have jumped, shouldn't I? I should have gone, oh! But no. Oh, yeah, never mind. Okay. Uh, well, we're sort of in a kind of bright zone here. Anyway, look, Richard James. What was the very first science fiction project to involve a Mr. Gerald Alexander Anderson? First science fiction project? Yes. Well, it's got to be... Oh, well, I'll be talking Fireball XL5. Well, you're talking before that, aren't you, really? Yeah, I'll be talking... I mean, Supercard before that, so... Yeah. But But actually, we're talking... Before Maybe that. before that, yeah, because right. you might guess Supercar because it was the first series to put puppets in a high-tech vehicle Okay. to get over the frustration of trying to make them walk realistically. And you might even think, oh, could it have been Torchy the Battery Boy? Because Torchy was sort of uh, an early, creepy, sort of Cyberman-type creature, sort of Cyber <laughs> right. Pinocchio, if you will. Um, okay. And he did have Good a rocket that. ship as well. And then, of sure. course... yeah. You could maybe even guess Twizzle, because the title character possessed the terrifying ability to extend his arms and legs in inhuman proportions. Yes. That's sort of a bit weird, isn't it? A bit fantastic. Well, it's certainly weird, yeah. Yeah, okay, Twizzle is weird. But in fact, Dad's first encounter of the sci-fi kind was in a cult film called... Yes. Devil Girl from Mars. Oh, I like it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think I've met her. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> well, see if you recognise this. Yeah. Oh, ouch. Go Poor on. Charlotte. No. <laughs> uh, Devil Girl from Mars uh, yeah. was a low-budget British film from 1954 about an isolated inn on the moors of Scotland besieged by a mysterious and vinyl-clad uh, alien. Naturally. <laughs> and she was an alien invader called Naya. Now, oh. Naya arrives, of course, in a flying saucer and interrupts the pedestrian drama of the locals, allegedly with the goal of using this rural spot as a springboard for an invasion of London, where she will kidnap Earthmen to keep the population of Mars stable. Okay. Uh, that's what she alleged, anyway. Uh, now, apparently... Yes, that's her story. She's sticking to it. Yeah, yes. Well, she gave an explanation <laughs> because apparently the men of Mars were decimated by a war between the sexes. Right. Yeah. Wow. Now, it soon yeah. becomes clear that Naya's real mission is to brag, basically, uh, about how right. much more awesome she is than the puny Earthlings, as she describes her plans in detail and demonstrates her powers of teleportation, uh, her nice. deadly ray gun, 
Um, a cool. rather large refrigerator box-shaped robot named Chani. Right. Okay. Yeah, a bit weird. Interesting. Uh, will the people of Earth put a stop to her dastardly plans and save London from invasion? Oh, I should imagine so. That's, well... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, uh, I should imagine they did. Devil Girl from Mars was produced by famous B movie makers, the Danziger Brothers. Okay. Uh, now the production was uh, the production sound was edited by Gerald Anderson, later oh. better known as Jerry, because he hated being called Gerald. Did he? Yeah. He did indeed. Uh, some fans have speculated that it actually had an influence on later shows, particularly UFO. But in interviews, okay, yeah. Dad was very quick to deny this uh, and to de- and to dismiss the movie as cheap and rubbish. <laughs> Great. Where can I see it? Uh, <laughs> I think it might be available, you know. Uh, it, yeah. he, he recalled, actually, the, the robot as resembling a petrol pump. Uh, <laughs> and just in case you weren't sure, he did not mean that in a good way. Uh, but Dad <laughs> did acknowledge that the producers were able to work at quite an impressive speed, keeping things on schedule and on budget without resorting to overtime. Uh, fair enough. Uh, watching the Danziger's stretch a pound to its limits undoubtedly helped Dad just understand how to get independent productions made, even yeah. uh, under low-budget conditions yeah. or in a time crunch. I'm thinking um, Crossroads to Crime, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they were all skills that would come in very handy throughout the rest of his career. Devil Girl from Mars is available on Amazon for those Ooh. looking to see how Dad learned to make sci-fi, or more accurately, how not to make sci-fi. Oh, I like it. Great. <laughs> right, there's my Halloween viewing sorted. Devil Girl from Mars. I mean, yeah. goodness me, that'll probably require a few beers and uh, quite a lot of popcorn, I imagine. But uh, Yes, yes, I should imagine so. Mm. Nice. Yeah, I like it. Spooky. Sort of. Okay. Well, it was kind of, wasn't it? That's almost a bit Halloween-y. Yeah. We kind of managed it but at you random. Know, the thing is, everyone's got to start somewhere, haven't they? <laughs> you know I mean? Absolutely. And if that means, you know, a fairly dodgy B-movie featuring a vinyl-clad woman from Mars, then so be it. I mean, it sounds better than Crossroads to Crime. <laughs> now, tell me, in those early years of his career, mm. did your dad have any idea, do you think, of where he wanted to be? Where yes. he wanted to head. He wanted to direct the next Ben-Hur. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you can see, as he was climbing up through working on these B-movies and then working more, you know, Gainsborough pictures yeah. and various other things, he was thinking, yeah. yeah, I'm getting there, I'm getting, and then I'm directing my own documentary thing. Okay, this is the stepping stone to a movie. Yeah. And a oh, uh, twizzle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I see. you can see how that was quite <laughs> quite damaging to his soul. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. Uh, but then you go, it worked all in our favour because now we get to enjoy uh, the spoils Twizzle. of his embarrassment. Not not yes. Twizzle, but, you know, no, the no, stuff no, where no. he was pushing it all forward. So it, it all yes. helps, doesn't it? All that experience of stuff that he didn't yeah. like yeah. helped to bring about the stuff that he did like and therefore we yeah. like too. How lovely. Yeah. That's right. There you go. Nice. Anyway, I think that probably is the end of this one. So that brings us to the end of this week's Devil fact. fact. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's fair. I suppose it's points to you because it's devil Halloween. Devil from Mars. Devil. And, and devil. Devilish. Halloween. Devil. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Yeah, I'm giving that one. Thanks. Uh, have you seen it? Do let us know if you've seen uh, Devil Girl from Mars. Is that what it's called? Devil <laughs> Girl from Mars, Scrolling yes. back through the script. Uh, yeah, let us know <laughs> if you've seen it. Let us know what you think. And if you have seen it, were you aware that you were watching one of Jerry Anderson's very first forays into the, uh, the film industry? Now, people, as usual, have been getting in touch, our lovely Podstrons, uh, via our email address, which is, of course and always will be, podcast <laughs> at jerryanderson.com. Well done, Richard James, you managed it. 
I gave myself plenty of time there to remember it. For example, Chris Turner says, uh, Dear Jamie, Richard and Chris, I hope you're all doing well. My email is a follow-up to a question I asked rather hurriedly towards the end of my uh, the recent Anderson Insiders live stream session. I've recently watched the film Lightyear on Disney+. Plus. And I was really impressed with the look of gritty realism achieved in the film, which is of course produced entirely in CGI. It seems to me that a contemporary Anderson show would look great with a similar visual style. So I'd be interested to know what the team think about the use of CGI to produce a modern day Anderson show. One of the new shows I could see fitting perfectly is Five Star Five, John mm. Lovell and the Zargon Threat. I've written before to say how much I enjoyed the book written by <coughs> Richard James and the audio Never read by Robbie Stevens. He says, I could see the planetary landscapes, ships, vehicles and characters all looking fantastic when rendered in CGI. Chris mm. continues, also, First Action Bureau, expanded out of its audio-only format, would look great in CGI. Being realistic, I know that Jamie has mentioned previously on the podcast that high-quality CGI doesn't come cheap so it's just a thought but I can always dream anyway I'm enjoying everything you do and I'm looking forward to all the new projects best wish is from Chris Turner well thanks Chris and thanks for joining yeah. in um, lovely thoughts yes I mean I've got I'm increasingly method agnostic I would say actually it's just meaning as in the right tool the right method for the right job basically it's yeah, not I, I don't worship at the altar of uh, supermarination uh, nor no, fair uh, face the uh, mecca of motion capture cgi okay, I, i'm struggling right. with any more um, religious no, things but you know what i mean yeah that's great it's yeah I, I just don't i don't think that it's solely down to the method that makes something yeah. work it's the story and the excitement and the aspiration and the design and the characters and the writing there's so many things that make it work Mm. Um, that yeah, if 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 we needed to do something that was entirely in CGI, great because it would it would look glorious. And if we had to do it in two D animation, then lovely. And if we had to do it in ultramarination, then fantastic. Uh, yeah. If we you know did the stop motion, if it was the right the right thing for the right type of story, yeah, whatever. And live action, I mean, first action bureau live action, I think. Is, oh, of uh, course, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah that's right. Just but gorgeous. actually, I have to say the novels and audio adventures and so on that we're, we're, we've heard and read recently the pictures live inside your own imagination absolutely that's a great thing and every reader or listener will have their own version of for example john lovell's universe in their heads which yep. is quite lovely i think hello jb james oh and chris <laughs> okay i hope you're doing well <laughs> says joe uh, just finished listening to pod 227 i think the best place to put live events ah yes we were talking, weren't we, about uh, all the various live events and live streams that you've been having recently as you've been breaking Jerry Anderson news, Jamie. Mm. Uh, where would be the best place to put those uh, live events for people to not book for, but to see when they were coming up? Uh, and Joe suggests it would be on the Ander app. Uh, it's a great app with an events tab, so an easy place to spot live events. Yeah, uh, keep true, plugging true. the app, he says. Uh, oh, and a space precinct vault. Yes, please. <laughs> Okay. Second, two votes. Are you, are you <laughs> setting you this up, Richard? No, I am really not. No, no, honestly. <clears throat> okay. But, uh, do keep your support coming in, listeners. Absolutely. Now, if you do want to download the app, uh, yeah, can I recommend that you do so? Because uh, you get twenty percent off your first Jerry Anderson store purchase after you downloaded the app. Right. Uh, you can get them. Get you can download it by going to your app store of choice and searching for Andera, A N D E R A P P, or going to the short links for. Uh, iPhone users on Apple, that is ander.sun slash anderapple. 
And for nice. uh, Android users, that is Ander.Dotson slash Anderoid. Okay. <laughs> sounds like good. a medical condition, doesn't it? The last <laughs> it really does, oh, yes. That's, that's why I'm not sitting down this week. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, dear. How very no, childish. I'm terribly sorry. But yes, it's lovely, and we're working on more interesting stuff coming into the app, and obviously... Ben and Co. have been working very, very hard on uh, Insiders. Insiders has moved to a new platform, and you can get to Insiders from inside the app. I mean, it's it's all right. lovely. There's so yeah. much. There's so much stuff to to, yeah. to to nourish your your Jerry Anderson joy out Great. there. So I hope Great. you're enjoying all of it. Yeah, lovely. Uh, Charles Gray got in touch to say, "Dear Jamie, Richard, or Rich and Jamie, whichever you prefer." Well, I know which one I prefer. Of course you do. Uh, <laughs> writing in to tell you, keep up the good work with uh, keeping Jerry's legacy intact. I have very fond memories of watching Thunderbirds, Stingray, Captain Scarlet, and the occasional episode of Joe Ninety. My earliest memory of watching Jerry's work was watching Trapped in the Sky at my grandparents' house. I think it was Trapped in the Sky. I can only remember Thunderbird Two taking off. Uh, just while I'm here, I'd like to know what's going on with First Action bureau i love the first series and would like to see a second and firestorm also have you ever thought uh, of what would make a good social deduction game and charles suggests captain scarlet could be a card game like danger zone looking forward to playing that by the way uh, but anyway keep up the good work and see you around but that's from charles thanks charles mm-hmm. well we know that we're working on uh, first action bureau related things aren't we richard oh, james yeah yeah. yeah, it might be. That's all we can yeah. say about that. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Um, as for other things, you'll have to um, have to stand by for action of some sort. Oh, that's all I like can it. say, I suppose. Okay, yeah, fair that. enough. Uh, what a Captain Scarlet card game. Oh, I mean, there's, there's loads yeah. of game stuff on the cards. Boom, boom. Didn't mean to, I, did, I didn't. I didn't mean to do that. Sorry, it just happened. Right, right. Oh yeah, dear. Lovely. Uh, like so it. yes, uh, who knows? But I mean, you know, you. You, you get all the advanced information from here and from Anton Insiders and elsewhere. So uh, there's yes, nothing really true. that I can say here that hasn't been said or can't yet be said elsewhere. Yeah. Or yeah. can yet be said uh, elsewhere. Now, <laughs> oh I know that it's uh, it's Halloween and we're all a bit tense and we're all looking over our shoulders oh, for yes. you know anything scary that might happen. But I just want to say, calm down, everyone, because Phil Steer has been in touch. Oh, Phil Steer. So long. He says... I know, wasn't it lovely to see him in Birmingham, finally? Uh, put a, at put the face to the podcast live, I believe it was, Absolutely. It? <laughs> Hi, Richard, Jamie, Chris, and all the podstrons, says Hi, Phil. Dear. I've just been watching Thunderbirds Day of Disaster on ITV Hub. Ah. All 32 episodes available at the moment, along yes. with other Jerry Anderson shows, he yes. says. Yes. Well, well. Uh, definitely an episode for all owners of an Apple Watch. He continues, Clayton, referring to brains, I don't believe it, I just don't believe it, he's talking into his watch. Bridge controller. Well, I knew it all along. The man's a nut. The question is, how long will it be before we have the apple powder compact or even the apple teapot? Mm. Oh, surely not long. (laughs) On another note, I know of at least one Anderson character named after members of the crew, Bob Meddings in Trapped in the Sky. But are there others or even modelled on members of the crew? All the best from Phil Steer. Ooh. Mm. Well, there was that character in Dick Spanner that was modelled after Dad. Little okay. bald, bald character. Right, yes. Um, and it has been potentially mentioned that uh, It Star in Terrorhawks was maybe modelled on me. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. How's that? Yeah. yeah. I remember in Space Precinct, we didn't necessarily have people modelled after members of the crew, but they were certainly named after yeah. them. We had, uh, I think, in Predator and Prey... Uh, one of my favourite episodes. That was the Commander episode. 
there, one, of, one of the here we go one of the tarn prostitutes that was murdered kid show everyone Brilliant. <laughs> uh, was named uh, Mag Serple after the two assistant editors Mag nice. Charlotte Serple nice. and I'm sure even Kamada himself and I think we've mentioned this before Enil E-N-I-L yep. Enil Kamada which is an anagram of uh, uh, Adam, Adam Klein. Klein yes yes whoever he was who knows who knows um, yeah and in uh, Terror Hawks I yeah. think in the audio series we had a mm-hmm. nod to the our uh, dear and much missed uh, late friend Richard Gregory as Zelda's uh-huh. creator this uh, Welsh uh, <laughs> Welsh scientist who made Zelda which is <laughs> right. so, you know in many ways closely linked <laughs> to Richard's uh, roots and to what he did on uh-huh. the show so yeah, sure, the, yeah these things are there all the time yeah yeah, let us know if you've uh, uh, spotted any others, any other uh, uh, models or puppets that were named or modelled after members of the crew. Yeah. Uh, let us know. Drop them in at uh, podcast.jerryanderson.com. Let's see what you've spotted. Oh, of course, I'm now increasingly looking like Moid from Terrorhawks as well. So, <laughs> no, you know. not at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Anyway, <laughs> should we move along very rapidly and maybe yes, do something to. Uh, to take our minds off all this with some Jerry yeah. Anderson news? Oh, yes, please. Okay, here we go. It's the Jerry Anson News. <laughs> I, he made it spooky, I see. Yeah. Yes, it's this week's Jerry Anderson News. 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 Well, that was good, wasn't it? Oh, God, that we should do good. that every week. Oh, well, I sent a shiver down my spine. Oh, no, 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 I left the door open again. Sorry. Hang on. Ah, there we go. Ah, uh, that explains oh, it. Anyway, yes, it's. Uh, I don't think there'll be anything spooky about this at all, but it is this oh. week's Jerry Anderson News. Uh, well, well, let's start with this. So let's start with action figures. You've all been asking for them for ages. Big Chief have come good on them. Three and three quarter inch action figures from Collection 1, with more to follow, which will include Scott Tracy, Troy Tempest, Captain Scarlet, Joe 90, Ed Straker and John Koenig from Space 1999. Lots more to come from them. And uh, you may be possibly thinking, oh, Big Chief, though been waiting ages for dot 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 mm-hmm. uh, we absolutely hear you and we've spoken to big chief about uh, production delays and they have gone above and beyond to reassure us that the timeline expressed for these is going to be something they're going to adhere to so we'll be keeping you um on top of things and uh, telling you everything we hear but we're pretty confident they're going to be able to meet the deadlines for these so you're looking basically spring summer next year we're, we're saying april may um i think big chief is saying april but let's let's see we'll we'll be able to refine it close to the time but as we know um, even the best laid plans of uh, big chief or Anderson entertainment even can um, go awry when it comes to deadlines for these things with manufacturing and the world the way it is right now anyway they are very cool i'm very glad to see these and i think they're planning several waves at least three um, and let's hope we'll see some really interesting characters and you can build up your collection yes did you enjoy the Fireball XL5 60th anniversary well we certainly did oh yeah um, we loved watching Network's uh, Night In more on that in a moment uh, just so you know the signed editions of the Fireball XL5 comic anthology are on their way they were slightly delayed annoyingly they got stuck in our warehouse uh, neglected when they shouldn't have been and weren't uh, shelved and therefore weren't packaged in time 
for the timely sending out that we'd hoped for so apologies for that but they are now on their way you may even have yours right now in which case i'm very pleased about that equally would you believe it uh-huh. we thought we were really well prepared for all of the uh, fireball stuff and we had stuff in stock way 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 in advance but of course there was another little problem no barcodes on our mini albums uh, so they've had to be re-barcoded before they could leave the warehouse because everything's quite carefully stock controlled so if you're waiting for cloud of a billion lights sorry that's our bad again uh, i'm not quite sure how that happened but they are on the way you should get them later this week if you're in the uk so thanks for your patience there more patience this is like a very apologetic news section oh dear yeah uh concert cds most of you have now got them they've finally headed out after all this time and i've seen lots of lovely comments and a couple of lovely emails i'm sure we'll get to some next week and in fact i think we should have a trailer to get us a little bit more nostalgic and positive so uh here is the concert cd trailer Milady, the Symphony Hall, Birmingham. Excellent, Parker. And we're just in time for Stand By for Action, the music of Jerry Anderson. Quite, Milady. An old concert of music from Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, UFO, Space 1999 and many more classic shows. Brought to life by a full orchestra. Stand by for action. Now available on CD from jerryanderson.com forward slash music. It's F-A-B. Oh, it does sound good. And lovely John and Genevieve there doing their fantastic Parker and Penelope. Now, for those of you who are waiting for the DVD and Blu-ray, they should, and I do say should, be arriving at our warehouse this week and will be turned around as rapidly as humanly possible. It's, again, been part of the learning process for how long it actually takes to get these things arranged when it comes to concerts. I won't be making that mistake again. Uh, But again, thank you all for your patience, and it is a lovely show. Uh, Lee Sullivan and I actually watched the entire show while we were signing the Fireball XL5 comics, uh, comic anthologies, Um, and it was just such a lovely emotional journey. We really enjoyed it. Now, I said I'd come back to Networks Night In. If you watched it, you may have seen some things trailed there. Now, I'm going to start with something very dear to my heart. Jerry Anderson, A Life Uncharted. Yes, finally, as we kind of intimated in previous podcasts, we'd hinted at various Q&As that Ben and I did during the screening of the theatrical tour. A Life Uncharted is coming to DVD and Blu-ray. Now, you can either pre-order it from Network On Air right now, or you can hang around and order it from the Jerry Anderson store on release day. Might mean you'll get it a few days later. Up to you where you get it from. But uh, DVD and Blu-ray with the extended edition. Now, Ben and I sat down and we've added about 21 minutes of new material, including why Roberta Lee thought he was an evil, evil man. Ooh, yes, I know you want to know the answer to that. And also what Dad really thought of the Thunderbirds 2004 film. Some very candid stuff there. Quite an interesting story. I did tell it, actually, in a few of the Q&As, but I don't think it's been put out on screen before, so hopefully you'll enjoy that. You will also have seen Network's uh, Night In, or you may have heard it since then, 
that the Super Colorization set is coming. So that means you can order a physical copy of the color episodes, including Four Feather Falls and Supercar and Fiber XL5 that Network have done recently. I think we should talk in a future episode, a future podcast, why it's so tricky to do colorizations. We may have mentioned it before, but I think it's probably worth diving into in the future. And finally, as well as it being Halloween and very spooky and happy Halloween if you celebrate that sort of thing, it is the last day that you can get our Thunderbirds Day 2022 t-shirts. So the designs with Scott and Virgil and the rest of the boys done by the lovely Chris Thompson, they will be going away today midnight on the 31st of october so if you want to grab them then grab them now or forever hold your peace Whew. that is the end of this week's jerry anderson news that was the news not very spooky news sorry i, I should have tried harder yeah it wasn't very spooky was it well you've got yeah. a year's notice haven't you to get yes. some spooky news together for next halloween i'll How's do that? my best i'll do my best all right Good. Now, if you're on Facebook, you can join in our wonderful uh, official podcast listeners group, uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podsterons, like James Munro, who says another great podcast this week. But alas, I was far from home in the tractor when it finished, so I had no snacks on hand. I think that must be the one where we were talking about Jerry Addison related snacks. Ah, says James, a thumbs up for the suggestion of UFO The Vault and two thumbs up. A space precinct the vault. Oh, another vote oh, for space no, precinct. Honestly, this honestly, is a, it's a fix. No, it's a fix. No, it's entirely unprompted. Mm. Uh, and when Chris Dale mentioned the pigeons in Venice, did any of them do a double take? Now, do you know what that's a reference to? <laughs> because I, I do. I can't remember, so no. It's a John Glenn story, isn't it? Is it? John Glenn, who uh, famously directed several episodes of uh, Space Precinct, also more famously perhaps directed a few Bond movies. Well, you say more famous. Yeah, and he had a little, uh, yeah, he had a little, um, one of his sort of a, what's the word? uh, I'm going to say leitmotif. Oh, yes, yeah? like, uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, was, was, was a pigeon that did a double take as something extraordinary happened. And there's, uh, <laughs> in one of the uh, Roger Moore Bond movies, Bond comes out of the water on, on, a, on a gondolier, which, uh, a gondola, which uh, then inflates on the gondolier. and moves around. On the person, on the thing on his shoulders. And it moves around Venice like a hovercraft, and it goes past a pigeon, and it does a double take. Amazing. That's what, that's right. what he's referring to. Uh, in other news, I had to apologise, says uh, James, to my D&D group last night for being late. The Fireball XL5 collection became available at the exact same time that the game starts, but thankfully, I was able to pre-order a signed copy of this real boss collection few right it is a lovely thing i've got my copy yep. right here it's so chunky it's 336 pages that's incredible it's amazing we talk about people joining our group all the time and here's an example kenneth quick says thank you for letting me join this amazing group i started watching the podcasts i guess that's on youtube uh, from number 217 great fun to listen to the banter between richard and jamie okay, uh, to which steve bushell replied don't forget to leave a rating thank you yes. steve i'm very yes. glad that that's catching on that's right. That's what we like. You know, we still have the, our last rating on Apple Podcasts is from July. Yeah. Oh, come on, It's getting people. a bit embarrassing now. Come on. Pull your socks up. Uh, Keith and then Coop do says, a I'd love to, uh, Yeah, I'd love to give a big shout out to everyone at the Jerry Anderson store for the lovely surprise I got from the postie this morning. The delivery of my electronic alpha launch pad set. Hooray, yes, finally. Yes, he says, I ordered it, yeah, well over a year ago. But that's not the store's fault. That's 1612's 
terrible business model. Perhaps I shouldn't have said that. Uh, it goes on to say, <laughs> but this... I was say, we, we don't endorse that comment, etc., uh, etc. Et yes, thank you. Uh, but it's so big and so beautiful, says Keith. I want to break my golden rule and take it out of the box and play with it. Yes. Yeah, go on, Keith. Go well, on. Have some joy. Go on. Yeah, play go with on, it. Do yourself on. a favour. Uh, Steve Ryder says, so is this a new game? Taking a drink every time Chris says, anywho... Anywho. Um, well, you see, you say that as well, Jamie. I do. You Isn't that do. strange? Anywho, you do. <laughs> oh, I knew. Uh, Steve Cowan says, I've just been to the King's Arms, which has just Ooh. been reopened after a refurb in Cookham. Ah. Uh, ask about the disappearing Parker certificate. Yes, what happened uh, there? The young guy behind the bar doesn't seem to know where it's gone, but said he'd look in the shed. I said he's really liked, I'd really like to see it reinstated for the first time, uh, or rather the next time we're in here, as it's part of the history of the pub. Exactly. It's true. Crucial we history. All that effort. Yeah, we had David Graham there and everything. I know, for the official opening. Yeah. Yeah, but there tut, we are. Tut, tut, Okay. Our very own Louise Everson asked, what was the first ever Jerry Anderson item you bought and do you still have it? Emma Nichols says, uh, my grandparents got me a Fab One car and I still have it. To me, it's priceless. Mark Perkins says, bought for me. Well, that would be the first Stingray annual, which disappeared when I went to university, but luckily I've replaced it. Bought for myself. Well, that would be some copies of SIG, which I found hidden away in a secondhand bookshop, and which are still on my bookshelf. Uh, Simpsons Clips says, the first Anderson thing I bought, or rather had bought for me, was a Vivid Imagination Thunderbird 2, which I still have. Paulette Rink says, first thing I bought was a Captain Scarlet paperback book, which I found at a garage sale. Okay, interesting. Mm. Mark Perkins says, uh, here's an interesting one, Jamie, you might know the answer to this. I've just been watching the heist episode of New Captain Scarlet. Captain White meets his daughter in a very exclusive restaurant, but before the camera zooms in on them, I noticed a fellow diner. Does anyone else agree with me that he looks a little familiar? And there, in their restaurant, Jamie, mm. sitting at a table, is a CGI rendition of someone who looks very like your dad. Ah, I wonder... No, CJ List. Yeah, well, he says, CJ Go List replies and said, uh, I think they did scan a likeness of him to use in the series, so Jerry appears almost as much as Stan Lee. Oh. No, I'm not sure. I, d I don't... I didn't think they did that, but I don't know. Yeah. They, there was a, a businessman character in an early episode, one of the first two, who ended up yeah. being crushed in a... In, well, in, in, a, right. in a crusher okay. uh, inside his car. Um <clears throat> And then resurrected. I wonder if it might be based on that model because that was a, a, a you know a larger, bald yeah. man, bald yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll have. I'll go and have a look. I'll yeah. go and have a look. Oh, there was also yeah. a farmer that looked a bit like Dad that they built. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Have to go and have a well, look. if you're on Facebook, to, yeah, join the Facebook uh, group and have a look at the uh, the post there from Mark Perkins. Uh, have a look at the picture and see what you think, and let us know if you think that could be a deliberate CGI likeness of Jerry himself in New Captain Scarlet. Quite interesting. There you go. That yeah. means, if so, he was therefore he appeared in uh, Dick Spanner and New Captain Scarlet. So right, right. Great <laughs> claims to Great. fame. Yeah. Richard James. That's it. No, all for now. Yes, uh, Jamie. Sorry, I should have said. Anywho. Uh, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, Take I a got drink, it. everyone. You see, glug. Yeah. Uh, would you like the second part of my interview with Connor Flanagan? Because whether you like it or not, that's what well, you're getting. Well, of course I would. Yes, bring them on. Okay, fine. Well, Potterons, if you're ever in Belfast, do stop by their local Forbidden Planet store and you may spot the, uh, well, the lesser spotted uh, or common old garden, in this case, Connor Flanagan. <laughs> no, I, I don't know which one of the, which one of those he is. They both sound offensive when you say them like that. Yeah, they do. I'm glad you said them. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Connor is lovely and is also a comic book, comic book artist who works in that shop uh, where his 
book, New Captain Scarlet, Operation Sable, was launched early in the year. So um, for us at Anders Entertainment, Connor drew Space Precinct Reloaded and most recently Operation Sabre. And uh, well, he here shares with you his love and enthusiasm for all things comic book, comic art and Anderson. So here's part two of two. I'm always interested, though, uh, especially for 90s kids who grew up rewatching Thunderbirds. You know, what else was on your televisual radar you know what was competing for your attention because you, you mentioned x-men i certainly remember early 90s the x-men cartoon which was quite cool i could i can hear the, the theme tune playing in my head now i mention it but you know you, you've got something that was made at that point only 26 years prior that seems crazy now but but stuff up against stuff that was being made there and then for young audiences so for you how did thunderbirds sit against the context of other kids shows yeah well it was my favorite frankly <laughs> you know i don't, I don't know <laughs> correct uh, answer <laughs> yeah well it's true i mean it's a strange one because you know i don't know if special effects had really reached that point um in the 90s because i also remember being exposed to re- reruns of the urban allen shows which i also absolutely loved almost on par i would say land of the giants voice of the bottom of the sea uh you know, Lost in Space, all of those. And, mm. you know, in the early 90s, I don't think, well, obviously with, with things like Jurassic Park coming along very swiftly, you know, CG changed in a big way. But I don't think yeah. that the shows of the day were so jarringly improved. Obviously, they were improved in terms of effects, but not so much that those shows, like Thunderbirds and that, couldn't sit alongside them comfortably. But, um, yeah, I'd, I, st- I still think that, it comes back to that thing of lightning in a bottle. There, there are a lot of things that come together to make uh, Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, Stinger. All of those shows are just. There's more to it than just the one thing. Um, there's the visual aspect. There's the the audio aspect. All of those things. Um, and you know, one of the things I, I I love, I guess I love the whole package. You know, if you go back to that X Men cartoon as well, obviously it's visually very interesting. But we talk about the theme tune, big on theme tunes. I was never more. Mm. Uh, disappointed as we moved into sort of the netflix netflix age for a time there it seemed that theme tunes and that had kind of gone away maybe that's a lot, not so much netflix but um later and sort of syndicated tv series it seemed to cut the theme tunes and yeah. know, my wife would very quickly push past the credits but i i'm a bit uh i prefer to watch the credits <laughs> you know it's about a, a bit of the experience you know your deep space nine open credits or your voy star trek voyager opening credits all that kind of stuff so that's all yeah. part of it for me but yeah it's the whole package. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It is. It's, it all kind of sets the scene, gets you in the mood, and particularly Thunderbirds with its kind of this episode uh, excitement say, and tease. Uh, I was also being exposed to a lot of things because I'm a huge horror nut. Horror uh, fan is <laughs> it's a bit of a juxtaposition there. Um, a funny story. Um, if we talk about Saturday morning cartoons and uh, whether it should have happened or not... <laughs> Uh, my dad had got a copy of Evil Dead 2 um, from the video store and uh, needless to say Saturday morning cartoons took a turn for the nefarious when I put that on after Thundercats or He-Man or whatever it was and uh, <laughs> a bit of contrast it. well you know from an adult and from an adult perspective you know that slapstick comedy mm. with the horror and gore but from a kid's perspective watching that on a Saturday morning I can tell you <clears throat> it's anything but funny <laughs> 
<laughs> you know? so, but that that was seared into my brain pan as well. And then obviously I fell in love with things like movies like Alien, James James Cameron, um, or Aliens, I should say. Um, yeah. But yeah, so big a big horror nut. Love all Friday the Thirteenth and the Elm Streets and all that kind of stuff. I'm sort of fascinated by, uh, I kind of look at those as sort of modern day Dracula or specifically the Hammer Horror Draculas and, and Frankensteins um, specifically. And I remember always being fascinated. How are they going to bring him back this time? How is he going to come back? You know, even though it's sort of written after the fact, but uh, I always uh, find find it funny the ludicrous ways they, whether it be by lightning or strike or what, what have <laughs> you know, but yeah, I love all that stuff as well. So um Obviously, my, my, my interests are, are broad. But it's, that's, that's beneficial, right? Lots of things, again, creatively feeding you. So, um, you, you know, if you, we, we track your Anderson and comic book collecting through to your teens. And then do we, what, park your comic book aspirations for a little while? Is that how it went? I think they were always still there, but... Um... When I moved, when I went into when when I moved to university and um, I was studying illustration, I'd actually gone to Dunleary in Dublin for a time and was studying animation. Didn't like that too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I found that it requires something else other than being able to draw. Uh, there's an element of <laughs> I think there's an element of acting involved and in, and in terms of the timing and stuff. And I've seen a couple of guys that were doing stuff. Maybe maybe I would have caught on had I stayed with with it longer. But I just I didn't feel it was feeding that creative side that, that I was looking yep. to um, go down. So again, it was sort of going off path a little bit there, I think, with the allure of the video end. And then I, I went further off path because I directly went down the video end. I think the sign, the writing was on the wall, but I, I wasn't paying attention. Mm. But um, it sort of led me into uh, making short films and stuff in, in university, none of which will ever see the light of day because they're awful. <laughs> oh shame yeah there was one in particular it was a <laughs> a comedy science fiction sort of in the vein of red dwarf and that it was called constellation q it was hammy and terrible in so many ways but um yeah and <laughs> i, feel like I, want, to, I want to see it now head. connor in fact cut that <laughs> um, <laughs> no we're keeping it oh, okay. and, I, and, and i want to i want and i want to see it um, okay so uh, but so, again but still needed creative outlets though you know, you, you yeah, were still absolutely. going down that route. And, you know, just a thought that pops into my mind, and it was something that I never got to do. And you'll know, obviously, from the launch of, of Captain Scarlet, um, the little things I was doing, like button badges and, and, and prints and flyers and things like this. Yeah. Th- those were all the kinds of things that I wanted to do at that time. Because, as I say, it's the whole package. You know, I want I wanted, when I was making those short films and handing them up for the end of year, I wanted a mug. I wanted a poster. I wanted the badges. I wanted the action yeah. figure. I wanted all of those things. I wanted to see... It has a you know uh, essentially a, a brand or a, a franchise thing, but unfortunately, those things were just not possible at the time. Again, I you know I can I can do it. We can all do these things. We can print from home. We can uh, we've got Photoshop. We've got all these things. You know, a lot of the it's hard to believe that even twenty years years ago, some of this stuff was still in its infancy. And if we go yeah. back, go back to Chris Thompson and the things that he's doing from home, I mean, <laughs> you know, and you know, if we talk of university, in fact, I remember uh, one of the one of the things. That I used to do on a Friday, I used to go across to the library, and I used to go on the internet. And this comes back to the horror thing, but also the Anderson thing. Two things that I used to look up: New Captain Scarlet to find out where yep. it was in its production, when the next Halloween movie was coming out. <laughs> so <laughs> weird, but that's so true. That's, that's exactly the two things that I, I used to check up on. And the internet Amazing. was 
terrible at that time. There was no resources. You couldn't find that kind of information. But I knew it was yeah. out there, and obviously I knew to expect it at a later date. So, yeah. yeah. So that's a, lovely, that's a lovely memory because obviously then getting to work on the comic and stuff and being involved with you guys is just it's just lovely, lovely little journey, you know. Well, yeah, but it's a nice, it's a nice journey thing for everyone to kind of follow along and for us to see as well. So it's all kind of it's all worked out very nicely. So yeah. let's let's land on the new Scarlet uh, Operation Saber in that case, then Connor. So you know you've done a previous thing with Chris with uh, Space Precinct Reloaded, and then he comes back to you and says, "How about the next thing?" Is that is that what happened? How, how did this kind of spiral up? Also, how did it spiral up from being a let's do a 20 page comic to let's do a 102 page graphic novel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think Space Precinct was received very well, but, you know, obviously I had my own misgivings of my abilities and stuff, but um, I was very, very proud of it and I was very, very proud of the journey that it went on. I was delighted that I got to stick around. I think Chris had possibly um, mentioned that Scarlet might be possible. And I think very early on I did a few sketches. And I actually ended up, I think did, I must have done the cover very, very early on. It obviously, it went mm-hmm. through a number of iterations before it finally ended up being what it was. But uh, more or less, there are elements of it that, that remain. And I think uh, one of the big things as well, I spent, so it must have been about a year before we really kicked it off um, fully and really got down to the nitty gritty of it. Because I remember spending a lot of time going off and learning how to color. I, I, I'd sort of seen in my mind uh, that I could do it, but I just didn't quite know how to do it. Um, so I had to go off and learn that basically. So I spent about a year just working on some of my own little projects um, and just learning how to color basically. Um, mm-hmm. And then by the time we got around to actually beginning, I, I think I had just got about enough knowledge under my wings uh, to be able to actually run with that. So I, I, I pitched it to Chris and he was happy enough to let me do it. So yeah. And as I say, as we move forward through that, um, I think I've been guilty in the past of drawing more than I should in, in instances. Um, I think there's a, there's a point where color specifically will fill those gaps for you. So it's knowing when to jump off, but that's only learned through experience and, and through uh, error and stuff. So, so that was the big thing on this project, definitely, was uh, mm. the use of color and how that uh, evolved and changed uh, how I approach things um, overall. So. And particularly crucial for an organization like Spectrum, which is so uh, <laughs> absolutely so colorful. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm pretty pretty proud of the outcome. I, I see it there uh, in the shop on the shelf. Um, it's been it's been doing very well. I might add. Um, I, I would say we sell like, a couple of copies every every other day, so it's, it's still moving very well. And most people have commented on the color. I'm particularly happy. Um, people picking up on certain things like using color uh, to create distance. Um, you know, putting it over the inks and stuff to sort of things that I wasn't aware that I was doing for, for any specific reason, other than I thought it would be, you know, that's kind of what you would do. Um, so people mm. have picked up on little things like that. Um, so it's really nice to, nice to hear those comments. Um, yeah, no, I think, I mean, you've, you've come up with something really, really stunning looking and really dynamic and, uh, you know, conveys the excitement and lots of the feedback that we've seen online echoes that for sure. But when, when Chris presents you with a, a, a script, essentially, what's sort of a quick breakdown of your process from, from script to page? I mean, do you see certain panel suggestions from him and go, oh, God, how am I going to do that? Or do other ones kind of leap out at you as, as you can instantly visualize it? Uh, yeah, so just, just run us through a kind of quick, kind of bullet-pointed version of the process, Connor. 
so you know, I get a script from Chris. It's very easy for me because we're very like-minded, and I, I include Andrew in this as well because obviously his own script. But um, it's about knowing the characters and knowing the franchises, and those guys know them like the back of their hand, and they know the big story moments and they know the the big character moments. Uh, so instantaneously, as soon as I read those those pages i know exactly what they're looking for um because i know the characters too and i know i know the franchise as well so um extremely easy one of the things that i do um i am obviously looking for those big action moments but one of the things i specifically uh, look for page by page is mm-hmm. of this specific page what is what is the big action moment what makes this page interesting to me what makes it really sing so i will go for whatever that is and i will build the rest of the page around that so it may be the big focal point it, it, it may be the first panel which is taken up most of the page it may be the last panel uh, but essentially what is that specific moment so I, I try to make the pages interesting to myself because you know you can have talking moments and it's just talking heads and that's fun enough to draw but if it's scarlet uh, getting thrown off a bridge or if it's the angels launching from skybase then that's it's it's, a, it's a probably a process like they do in film as well. It's it's looking for those key those key moments and then uh, jotting down a few uh, sketches and things uh, and just going from there. I, I, funnily, as I moved into the digital end, I tend to not really have to sketch things too much. I kind of just move straight into it. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, if you're moving towards a specific moment on a page, you can kind of build the other stuff around it. Because while I when I was working on paper, I, I found. I was very uh, cut and paste uh, at times. I would make mistakes and stick a piece of paper over the top or I would cut something else and, and transplant it to another page. Um, if you're working in Photoshop or if you're working digitally, you, you do that instinctively anyway. So, And it's very easy to undo a mistake. So I, I think it, you know, it's been very intuitive uh, working on, on a drawn tablet and stuff because you know that seems to be the way that I work. Um, mm. It's just taken... <laughs> me a while to find the technology i guess to you know, <laughs> to see where i'm comfortable working you know not to say i, I i'm unhappy on paper it's just i've just found I, I move a lot quicker um when drawn digitally for sure so and that's part of the process when you've got 100 odd pages to get through i scope I exactly yes. so of those 100 pages not of that work on on saber kind of what what was the biggest challenge and that could be a panel a page an entire story a character whatever and what was the the What's the thing you're most happy with at the end of it? I think the stresses really came in sort of the time frame. I was acutely aware that it was taking a long time to do. But, you know, in, in my mind, it, it was taking a long time, but also it wasn't taking a long time. It was taking as much time as I could do on it, which was every other week and hour other than when I was in work. And I was in work a lot. So whilst it, it took over a number of years to, to produce, if you condense that down, it, it probably isn't that. But... Yeah, that that was that, that put a lot of stresses um, sort mm. of on me to sort of deliver that because I really wanted to deliver something really special as well. So, and obviously I was putting pressure on myself to improve and get better and 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 really do uh, honor those sort of previous strips and stuff. Because you know, I, I just don't want to put something out there. I want to put something out there that is happy sitting beside a Frank Noble stri- strip, or I'm sorry, a Mike Noble strip, or you know, beside a Frank Bellamy strip, or you know that I can see it there and, and feel comfortable that, you know, I've given it my all basically. So, yeah. Okay. So, but do you now look back and think 
Yeah, okay, I'm happy with that. Or do you do the oh. usual creative thing of entirely just looking and and, and finding fault with it, which you obviously you should well, you not know, do? It's a funny thing. You see, as soon as I received a copy of that book, I have to say, you know, all those anxieties that I've been having um, just went, faded away straight away. And, you know, if there Good. were anything, any things to nitpick, not, it would just be nitpicking because it's a, it's a beautiful book. Honest, it really is. It's mm. and, you know, the quality, the production of the book, the, the paper and everything is just... Because I'm a strong believer, you know, there was a time when there was this fear that digital comics were going to take over uh-huh. to some degree. And I understand the sort of the, the thought process behind digital comics and how useful that would be if you're on an airplane or what, what have you. Yeah. But you, know, you have to travel, travel light. But, you know, there's an art in getting something to paper. And, you know, that was one of the things I, I printed every single uh, page that I produced at home. I was looking at it on paper long before it ever went to paper, essentially, for the book. Um, to make sure that things looked as I wanted them to look and, you know, to, to pick up on, on mistakes and things. So I, I really understand how, how difficult it is to put something on paper and give people a product that, you know, is really, really uh, mm. professional, essentially. Uh, so I couldn't be more proud of it, honestly. It's just, and you know, it's weird to see it sitting on the shelf. It'll catch my eye from time to time. You know, <laughs> you have to understand this. The image of Scarlet against the brick wall was was in my, you know on the front of my folder in, in my workroom for a number of years, and I was so keen to share it with everybody and really couldn't. And you know to suddenly see it there is such a thrill. It, it just honestly, it's just uh, it's just lovely seeing it on there. And obviously, you see pe- people picking it up and browse, browse through it. And a couple of people have bought it, and you sort of ask them, you know, well, what 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 caught your eye or what was interesting about it, and mm. you get responses on that one, but. Um, and I'm not even too worried about the people who pick it up and then put it back down again, as long as they picked it up. <laughs> Can't be for everyone. Yeah. It I mean, it's, it, yeah. it's very much like the world we live in now, you know, with um, thumbnails on carousels and tiles on streaming platforms and stuff. You know, you've got three seconds to grab somebody's attention. So if they picked it up, that's the equivalent of them clicking on a title. And if Absolutely. they flick through it, that's the equivalent of them watching the first 10, 15 minutes of the TV show. And if they then buy it, then they've committed to the whole series. So, I mean, you, you know, it's interesting talking about the whole comic process, because really, once the writer hands over their script, the way you're talking about it, you are then doing the storyboarding, the direction, the design, <laughs> the post-production, you know, in the kind of TV equivalent or the film equivalent, you're taking on multiple departments worth of roles and then handing your your baby over to get it manufactured and and printed so i'm very glad you're happy with the outcome and uh, you know maybe i should have just stayed away from the video end of things anyway because you know ultimately that's exactly what you're doing you know you're getting to do the, all of that stuff you know trying yeah. out every single role so yeah it's, it's kind of more exciting isn't a very it? cool thing so here's a challenge for you Cora, as our kind of as we sort of wrap up this chat There'll be lots of listeners who think, I'm not really a comics person. I'm not really a graphic novel person. So for you, as someone who enjoys multimedia stuff, as I know you, you know, you listen to audio drama, you read and draw and color comics, uh, and you've worked in video and obviously you, you watch content too. What is the draw for comic books and graphic novels versus other media, not to compete against them, but you know, if you're a regular viewer of classic or even new Captain Skull episodes, why should one make the leap giving Operation Saber or any other comic title a try? Hmm. 
interesting question and a difficult <laughs> question, but I I like to throw in at least one tricky one. Mm. Let me ponder this one. Um... <laughs> I mean, because you know, I have to for me as kind of devil's advocate and just you know showing my perhaps ignorance. In the past, I have found comic stuff perhaps a more inaccessible medium but to look at it and find yourself lost in the depths of the detail and being able to consume it in a different way makes it more engaging and it's stuff like reloaded and saber which has kind of actually made me enter that world and and find some pleasure in it so you know there's there's some nice praise for you there is is that the general appeal yeah well you know i think well, I don't want to say historically, but certainly, you know, from my past, there's always been an, uh, a point of view that maybe comics are a little juvenile, um, and maybe not, uh, maybe not a valid medium. Uh, or, you know, I, I remember in school one to, you know, when you'd, you'd have to do uh, book reports or or do book, um, you'd have to read so, so many books in the year or whatever it might be, and I wanted to add Asterix or Tintin books into that, and I remember my teacher being quite, uh, not so much, no, no, no. <laughs> um, and that, that kind of stayed with me, but you know, and I, I think obviously there is an element, you know, of that in comics that, that they are for kids and so on and so forth. But you know, specifically my generation and, and certainly a couple of generations before, they, when they grew up with comics, and you'll find that something like a Batman title today, or you know, even Captain Scarlet Operation Saber for sure, they've kind of grown up with the people who were who were watching them. So if if you get too old to watch Saturday morning cartoons, which I don't believe you do, but if you do. You know, the comic medium is probably an extension of that in a way, because you can sort of you you can still get those two uh, D uh, cartoon visuals, but uh, specifically with a lot of modern day comics, um, some of them can be quite adult, of course. Um, yeah, you, you can have something that's not. So it's very hard to watch maybe the the the, the, the cartoons of, of yesteryear, you know, from an adult an adult's viewpoint because they they feel a little certainly the juvenile is the word but it, it can be difficult to just enjoy them as you did um because you can sort of see the the holes in them in that way but you know the comic book uh, because they're written by adults for adults essentially now because you know even in, if you go back to forbidden planet we find it very difficult to sell or find comics that are suitable for for very younger age range. You know, obviously there's mm. stuff that exists, but it's not as plentiful as you'd imagine because a lot of comics tend to border on, uh, I, I don't want to say adult story time, but certainly more mature uh, yeah. themes. So, you know, if you're, if you're looking to uh, revisit those shows of yesteryear, but you feel that they can't give you what you once took from them, then certainly you know, a comic book or uh, even the audios or, or what have it, have it will certainly give you those, give you that uh, fix that you're looking for. Um, I think I say written, written for adults by adults uh, in most instances. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be the key thing there. Um, yeah. The medium has matured, like you say, with, with the creators and with the readers actually. So it, yeah. it is a, it is something very, very accessible. Um, and also, so, and also I mean, pick, pick Captain Scarlet Operation Saber up because, uh, you know, we we work so hard on it. You know, I give everything in the kitchen sink to it. So just buy it. Just go and buy it. Because <laughs> it's absolutely, you know, <laughs> it means everything to yeah. me. You know, it's very personally important to me. And, mm. you know, 
obviously no no one's going to understand that journey or know that journey but you know i lo- i love it and um well i just I, want people I hope, to get fun. i hope that they will from listening to you talk and you can you know you can hear hear the passion that comes out of you and has clearly gone to the page and that's that's clear and i think a lot of the stuff for us that is most successful with fans has had that passion and love poured into it as with the original tv shows you know pe- people loved making these things and so then people love to consume and enjoy them so i'm sure they will on saber and as connor says if you haven't bought it yet go and buy it now or else connor will send the boys around specifically <laughs> captain black uh so connor if um if uh, any listeners want to follow you on social media where are you i know you you've recently signed up to twitter and a couple of other places so how can they find yes. you there um, you can find me at Flanavision on Twitter and also at Flanavision on Instagram. You can also hit me up on Facebook. Uh, yeah, we're working hard to make sure I'm more uh, visible out there. So um, this is just the beginning. Um, so uh, please come and follow me on this crazy journey I'm hopefully going on. So it should be fun. Lots of exciting Brilliant. things to come, hopefully. So. Yeah, no, I, def- I think there's, there's, there's a really lovely, uh, like an inspirational angle to this of kind of, you know, returning to perhaps abandoned or sidelined dreams and all that kind of stuff. And I'm very glad that you're, uh, you're doing that with us, Connor. So no, thanks so for your amazing you. work. Thank you so and, much. Uh, really Potter, go and buy Operation Sabre. You can buy it at ander.son slash Sabre if it's still in stock. And if not, then, um, well, you'll have uh, to wait for a reprint, won't you? Forbidden Planet or anywhere else that sells <laughs> oh. Or Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet International. Absolutely. That's the other place to grab it. Uh, Awesome. Connor, thanks so much. Really great chatting to you. Thank you so much, Jimmy. Take care. Thanks so much. Thank you, Connor. Have you enjoyed that? I love the contrasting people we speak to, you know, both kind of in the publishing world here for the last six weeks. Chris Bentley's been doing this for a long time and multiple different books, but all kind of historical documentary. And then here we are with Connor with with the very creative telling a new story yeah. anyway look, you can follow Connor on Twitter and Instagram at Flanavision um, and remember that the digital edition of Operation Sabre is coming out very soon in fact may already be out by the point you hear this um, mm. and you can get it on Comixology via Kindle Amazon and a few other places so just have a look on the Jerry Anderson store or jerryanderson.com for more info yes well done uh, now do remember if you're listening to us well, if you're listening to us I know you're listening to us but while you're listening to us why not subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to Sp- Spookscribe us to on. us Spookscribe okay uh, that way you get a notification every time a new podcast Sorry. appears uh, and also you can leave us a nice rating give us a five star review and leave a few nice words for us uh, and that'll help bump us up in the algorithm so everyone else can hear us too and uh, why not even copy the link Post it on all your socials and say, I'm listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast, and I think you should too. Oh, just that phrase. That's great. Yes. Say that's that. Right. Yeah, Do it exactly. now. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, over on YouTube, people have been commenting beneath pod 227 from a couple of weeks ago. Betsy Lee says, is the Captain Scarlet book The Vault still available? I'm just wondering, is all. Uh, and yes, I still enjoy all these podcasts. They're so wonderful. Uh, this would be good for my birthday if it's still available and for Thanksgiving too. Oh, Scarlet the Vault's long, 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 long gone, and now? I don't think it's ever going to come back. I'm sorry. Okay. Keep an eye out for second-hand uh, versions. That's the best I can offer. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Steve Wilson says, I hope Chris's idea of a UFO the Vault book gets off the ground. Yes, that would be good. Fingers crossed. Uh, he doesn't mention space briefing. Oh, how strange. Odd. Yeah. Mm. Uh, John Clay says, good podcast. Okay, yep. Yeah. 
I'll settle for that. I'll take that. Uh, he says, I've even been listening to themes from Doppelganger, engaging cinematography from John Reed. Uh, also, uh, do you remember in Fab Facts we discussed the idea that Jerry had actually been bought a, a, a plot on Mars? Yes, yes, the Fab Fact from last... Was that last week? Like, oh, I think two or three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Randall Scott says, mm, I was gifted a plot of land on the moon a while back. I must check if it's anywhere near or even on the location of the Shadow Moonbase or Moonbase Alpha. If it is, should I charge rent to the appropriate organisations? Oh, yes, absolutely. Send some well, backdated invoices across to the World Space Commission <laughs> if I were you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Minical says, turns out the real reasons uh, why the aliens from UFO were coming to Earth was uh, because they kept buying each other pieces of land. Yeah, came to really claim their plot that. of Earth, yeah. That's right. People got very excited, of course, about the Fireball XL5 60th anniversary comic anthology. As they should. Uh, and there was a wonderful trailer on YouTube as well, and you can see it there. Calvin Sky says, this is real boss. Uh, the Fireball strips were some of my favourites in the Century 21 collections, and it's great to see them all together, plus a new crossover story. Yes. Mm. Peter UK says, I've already ordered my signed copy. I love the music. It's bringing back so many childhood memories. Uh, Paul Kinnear finally says, I dithered for around five seconds before going for the signed edition. <laughs> XL5 is my favourite Anderson show, and the print will be getting framed going up on my bedroom wall. Brilliant. You're going to love it. Cool. It's a beautiful little print of Fireball Junior from Lee there. Gorgeous yeah. stuff. Nice. So, yeah, do have a look over at the uh, Jerry Anderson official YouTube channel. There's all sorts of things to enjoy there, from uh, free episodes to primers to Beyond Anderson documentaries to the uh, Fab Facts to special interviews and launch videos, all sorts. Yeah. All right. A huge variety of gubbins. Yes, that's true. That's right. Mm. Oh, I must just mention, actually, uh, meanwhile, must over you? on Twitter. Well, Genevieve Gaunt. Yes, lovely Genevieve, also known as Lady Penelope. Exactly, the voice, the new voice of Lady Penelope says, uh, well, she tweeted that she was at Clifton Literary Festival, uh, Clifton Lit Fest today. Uh, She says, I was dressed by Chanel and uh, realised I'd done an homage to Lady Penelope. She posted a few pictures of herself looking rather uh, fetching in pink. And then, of course, goes on to say that uh, AC, who we also know well, tells me that Clifton was used as the location for the Crichton Ward Mansion in the film. All that I was missing was Fab One. Oh, oh if only we'd known we could have organised it. That was literally around the corner from me. So, yes. But there we are. So, good old Genevieve Gaunt, flying the flag for all things Anderson. She always is, bless her. Even by accident. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> That's great. Genius move. Yeah, lovely. Uh, yes, all for now. Yeah, do come along. Uh, you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, you know, uh, follow us on Twitter. Hashtag us, Jerry Anderson Podcast. And tag me, Richard N. James. And him over there, I'm Jamie Anderson. You're right Him there. over there, Chris Darling. You know, all that stuff. You, Just do, do it. Do you need a wee or something? You're sounding a bit no, cross-legged no, now. Not at all. No, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I just think people should just really get involved with as much as they can because it's all out there for you to enjoy. Yes. And I wouldn't want you to miss anything. Uh, absolutely. Well. Really wouldn't. If you made it this far, then <laughs> you really don't want to miss out on what's next because it's the thing no. that really everybody actually... Yeah. they really care about basically I think that's fair enough yeah. uh, so uh, you don't have to worry it's uh, not trick or treat at this end of the podcast uh, right, right see yeah. it's all no, treat good. no trick it is it really is Yeah. Uh, well unless we get torchy and then it really is a, oh, a, a trick so let's mm. see what happens uh, so Chris Dale also known as the Randomizer, is here to with assistance or without it choose a random episode uh, from all of the Jerry Anderson body of work and uh, watch it for your listening pleasure he'll talk you through it give you some observations say some funny things and uh, you'll know a bit more about the episode by the end of it how's that yeah 
Yeah, that sounds good. That's a deal, isn't it? Okay, it's time to have some skelly fun on the randomizer. Mm. Okay, over to you, Chris. Bye. Lou. Lieutenant's the thing we're parodying here. I was looking round the jungle, seeing the rough and tumble. The avenues and alleyways were coming alive. Abel and his brother were having yet another minor disagreement. I kept on the move till the daytime turned into night, then ducked into the nearest watering hole for a spot of refreshment. I asked the barman for a tenant's pilsner. The cool taste was out of this world. Fingers and his mob were at their usual table, casting fearsome shadows on the wall behind them. A squealer passed me a randomizer selection. I'd read about how he died in the morning paper. But until then, I had a choice. Finish my Tenant's Pilsner, or settle down to watch one of my favorite episodes of Captain Scarlet. It was close, but in the end, duty calls. Tenant's Pilsner. It's good, but <laughs> not that good. Leading the fight, one man fate has made indestructible. His name, Captain Scarlet. So, get your, um... I don't know what's on, because it's time for some Captain Scarlet. I don't know where I was going there. Um, I think it's just the, the, the very spooky opening shot we have here of Mars instantly, just from the first shot. You know, this episode is going to be a bit different, because I think that's probably the first time we've actually seen Mars since the first episode. So it's like, instantly we're like, woo, back to the origins of the series, back to this crucial element of the show that we haven't really revisited since it started, and here we have K14 Observatory in the Himalayas with a little tiny SPV out the front of it. It's a lovely model, um, very intricate. I don't think it quite establishes how the SPV gets there. I see there's a little bridge, but it doesn't seem to connect to a road, which is interesting. I suppose the SPV doesn't need any roads, does it? And here we go inside the observatory. We find Captain Scarlet and Blue. And three men. First picture transmission starts in 35 seconds. Three scientists, I should say. And I notice in the control room they also have that um, computer prop from uh, Renegade Rocket. Spotted it. With the word zero, I think, still illuminated on it. Right on target. 21,000 miles from Mars. And instantly, something I have to mention with this episode, which is one I find people either love or hate, but I find the music in this is just superb. I mean, listen to that. Ten seconds. Building swell. As this little probe approaches Mars, and then... It's exploded. Zero. Start transmission. Yeah, that's definitely the desk from Renegade Rocket. You can see the little um, uh, readout unit that uh, yeah Major Reeves stole. So what's going on? This is all very suspicious and... Uh, Intriguing. Have we done it? We won't know for nearly four minutes. Mars is about 43 million miles away. It'll take that long for the signals to reach us. That is, if the Mestrons haven't already destroyed the satellite. Mm. I'll report to Cloudbase. So we're we're actually taking the fight to the Mestrons for a change in this episode, it seems, which is very nice, very refreshing. What's the latest situation, Captain Blue? And I love that the Mestrons just destroy the satellite as it approaches just they can do that we don't even have to explain if there's a defense screen around the planet or whatever they don't want it there boom bye bye satellite radar chances captain scarlet well it's hard to deceive the misterons but there's always a chance yeah let's cling to that oh, 150 seconds left but yeah that music i i love that 
with, with um, you know, obviously Barry Gray didn't score music for every episode of the show. It was, you know, he'd, he'd maybe, I think with Captain Scarlet, there's maybe like a dozen that he scored out of the 32. And it's always interested me which episodes were deemed um, worthy of a, of a new score. Was it just that the setting was so unusual? Check video. I just did. Well, do it again. Oh, sniping and snapping at each other. Very nice. Yeah, was it just that the setting was a bit unusual? We need a bit more music? Or was there a sense sometimes of, this is a, a, a better episode? This is a this is going to be a classic. Let's put a bit more into this on the music front. And yeah, so much of this would go on to be reused throughout the series, and quite right too. It's just beautiful music, and a nice pan across the uh, the observatory dish here. I like also that it's it's in a very remote area of uh, of the Himalayas. There's no you know, no people or buildings or anything around. It's just this one remote outpost and these three guys who seem to get on all right, but, uh, you know, bit of bit of friction there earlier. 20 seconds. Stand by. Start video recording. 15 seconds. Now. And also, I think this is a really good episode for... Come. Just hearing the voice actors bounce off each other as these three scientists... There's a real natural energy to this. Lost the signal. Check it. No possible doubt. It's been destroyed. Two seconds before the first picture transmission. Oh, bother. Yeah, two seconds. And yet... Mr. Rons have destroyed the satellite. Phase one complete according to plan. Oh. Has Scarlet turned on us? No, apparently this is all part of the plan. This is the voice of the... <laughs> I've forgotten about this, yes. We know that you can hear us, Earthmen. We've had a bit of a helium leak on Mars, but still try to take us scarily. Been destroyed. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that Donald Gray inhaled helium to do the voice of the Mistrons, and then it was digitally pitched down. I don't know how true that is. Of the Mr. Run. But this episode kind of makes me believe it. will be avenged. That he's done the voice and then it's not been pitched down for whatever reason. But, you know, even if the Mr. Runs sound a bit silly, Captain Black, who is not in this episode actually, but Captain Black will not have been sucking on helium. Let's check in with Cloudbase. Members of Spectrum. As you have heard, the first satellite launched to orbit Mars and relay pictures to Earth has been destroyed by the Mistrons. Oh, no. This was, of course, anticipated. Hmm. We were prepared to fail. Continue as planned. As K-14 Observatory... I like this shot of the, the other captains and the angels just kind of sitting around, having a, a reads of books and drinking coffees and things. ...of the observatory in the Himalayas. It does look a bit of a boring life. Aerial surveillance. If you're not Captain Scarlet or Captain Blue. All Spectrum personnel are on red alert. Here we go. This exercise is part of a larger plan. Operation Sword. Operation Sword. Of which we are not explained fully what this is, nor is it ever mentioned again after this episode. But here we have an interesting sequence. We are going to move Cloudbase. And I look at the footage of Cloudbase moving these engines powering up to move the base. And it looks to me like stock footage. It just looks... It, it has that sort of slightly worn look to the footage. And I've always wondered if this was meant to be like a regular thing with Cloudbase. They shot this footage at the start of the series. 
Wow, looks like we're underway. Thank you for that, Captain Gray. See, Captain Gray, that's his job for the day. He looks out the window and tells us that we're on our way. I said they didn't have much to do. But yeah, I, I've always wondered if that footage was shot at the, the front of the series on the expectation that Cloudbase would be moving around all the time. And then they never did it. And then with this episode, they thought, well, we've got that footage. We may as well use it here. Again, I have no evidence to support the idea that that footage wasn't shot for this episode. But it just, there's something about the footage, it just looks to me like this is stock footage, it's been hanging around for a while, let's get some use out of it. Meanwhile, more spooky music and spooky space shots. I have the mini-satellite under infrared track. Because we're sending in another satellite. Mini-sat-5. Touchdown in two minutes. Let's hope the Mr. Ons don't detect this one. Well, we're tracking it by infrared reflection of the sun's rays from the satellite shell. At least there's no transmission for them to pick up. Adam, why did you tell me something I already know? Oh, it's for the audience, Captain Scarlet. Yeah, I, I, I'm not keen on that very wobbly little Martian moon. Uh, I like that they've tried to... I uh, was keeping the Martian moon between itself and the Mystery. To create that impression of the moon orbiting Mars as the, um, the probe comes towards it. Because this is great stuff. The probe reversing and firing and uh, jettisoning its um, sort of canopy bits and such. But just that moon, that little tiny moon, makes me smile. It looks like a meatball. Um, yes. It's the music with this. It's altered course as scheduled. Does so much on the atmosphere front. Not only in space. I mean, we spend more time in space... Uh, in this episode than any other episode of the series, I think, in terms of, you know, not being on the ground as such. And it's, uh, yeah, Minisat 5 has uh, deployed its, well, its contents of a little satellite with legs and uh, a face. He's got a face on it, which I find quite sweet. Uh, yeah, oh my goodness, the music is just just knocking it out of the park this week. It's a lot of it isn't even like listenable music as such, it's just atmosphere and this... It's wonderful at building this dread and tension throughout this story. Wonderful! Well, we've succeeded. Hooray for us! A small satellite on the Martian moon Phobos. And without the Mysterons detecting it. Right. Phobos orbits Mars every seven hours, 40 minutes. And our minisat will get a free ride right round the planet. Every seven seconds. It will take a photograph. Yay! This, that's what this was all about, photos. 300 hours tonight, after it's completed one orbit. Gentlemen, we're about to obtain the best close-up shots of Mars ever taken by man. Hooray! A lot of work ahead. I suggest we all get some rest. Get some sleep as well, Captain Blue. I'll take the first watch. Right. I'll relieve you at midnight. I just love that. We've succeeded. Now, off to bed. Oh, there's that meatball moon again. But, oh yeah, I love that this, this satellite seems to have a little face. He's got two eyes, a nose, and a lot of teeth. I have a feeling also this um, prop was was seen in later episodes. It was parts of various bases, uh, always in the background. I think it was in uh, Arctic Adventure, the, the sea base in that, in Joe 90. I could listen to this atmosphere music all day, having said that it's not very listenable. It's uh, some of space atmosphere music in these shows is a bit sort of samey, but considering there's so much in this episode, it's it's really great stuff. And here we go, nighttime at the observatory, and the the music that established the observatory earlier on has taken a bit of a.
calmer, chiller air here. It's all a bit, uh, a bit quiet. They've turned the lights off. I also love that they've got this, uh, being an observatory, they have this wonderful telescope prop that really they don't get a lot of use out of in this episode. And I, I don't recall seeing it turn up anywhere else, but hey-ho. Scarlet's on guard, but there's a shadowy figure. A shadow of fear? No, it's the shadow of someone else. It's only me. Uh, sorry if I startled you. Oh. Oh, Dr. Brack. It's him. I thought you were in bed. Well, I, uh, I couldn't sleep. What time is it? And an interesting thing about this episode, and we can mention it with Dr. Breck here, is that this is the final episode that Paul Maxwell and Charles Tingwell recorded voices for. I guess they had other work to go to after this episode. It's interesting that they both had to leave at the same point. I'm sure they weren't working on the same project. Maybe they were. Who knows? Maybe they had a stage show or something to get to. Yes, its course was carefully plotted so that Phobos always shielded the satellite from Mars. So it's nice that they both get key um, guest roles in this episode. In the shadow of fear. Here's the explanation. Phobos, the uh, Greek word for fear. Aha. The shadow of fear. Everything all right? Very nice title. Captain Blue. Well, it's midnight. I'll take over the watch, Captain Scarlet. Right. I'll get some sleep. Considering you've all slept. I suggest you get some rest. I'm well, indestructible. Right. I don't get to all sleep right, when everyone else does. We'll try and get an hour or so. I'm going to check outside. Good night. Good night, Kevin. What's he thinks going to be happening outside? Oh, well, who knows. But that leaves Dr. Breck alone with the telescope looking at Mars, which is starting to glow. Strange. And I, I know some people have criticised this, uh, this way to kill Dr. Breck in terms of, you know, dramatic explanation of what is actually happening here. I kind of like it. I think it's a bit eerie. I like that he's kind of hypnotised by this bright light. Mars is just suddenly glowing. It is very creepy. And he can't take his eyes off it. The light, it's so uh, intense. I, I, I can't... Pulsating light. There's some great last words. Pulsating light. Mars has gone back to normal. And Dr. Breck is dead. And this is one of the, I feel, the greatest mystronization sequences in, in history. Not only the... I mean, the puppet is quite a good-looking puppet, I think. And it's a shame he was rarely used in, in other episodes. Also love that Blue is outside oblivious. But it's this shot... We focus on Breck's feet as the body is dragged away by someone. Someone has to be doing that dragging. And we drag Breck's body past Mr. On Breck's feet. And there's that wonderful pan up. Of course, he is now a Mr. On. He is Mr. On Breck. And he's just about to admit it to Captain Blue here. Of course, Blue doesn't quite get it. It's just the sight of Breck standing there like a total zombie. Dr. Breck, are you all right? Well, what do you think? Fine, Captain. I'm fine. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Off to bed with you. It's that. I'm fine. It's just any Spectrum officer on seeing that should immediately think that is a that's as good as a signed confession that you are a Mister On now. But no one seems to twig. Time. Oh, one fifty-eight. Just over an hour to go. Right, Lieutenant. Launch all angels. Angel 1, immediate launch. And 
and uh, nighttime footage of the angels launching. This happened a couple of times. I, I want to say this is the first episode it happened with it in. Um, it's not a very notable occurrence, but I just thought I'd uh, I'd bring that up. More nice music. Even the angels get a little bit of new music here this week. In aerial surveillance. Oh, it's lovely. Observe radio silence, except in an emergency. And it had better be a good emergency. We don't want to hear from you otherwise. So. I don't like, though, that Angels 2 and 3 take off much slower than they would in daytime in that footage. The astronomers. And at the observatory, it's not going well. He can't have gone. I've looked everywhere. He's not in the observatory. He must be found. There's less than an hour before transmission. His bed hasn't been slept in. Dr. Breck is definitely not in the building. Well, you were the last one to see him. Where did he go after you had him? Close to success. Nothing must go wrong. I, I love as well looking at the observatory. The, the model department have gone to so much effort in creating the structure of this base, the detail, and that's reflected in this shot here of uh, uh, the um, rotation gear housing room. It's going to be used to rotate the satellite later as... Uh, Someone snuck in with a few sticks of dynamite. Some woolly gloves and a woolly hat. It's our Mr. On Friend, Dr. Breck. And also you have to wonder when Breck's body was being dragged out earlier, who was doing the dragging? Uh, maybe Captain Black was there? Because it's it's happening in in the way it would do if a human was doing it. It wasn't in one continuous slide. It was... Slide, stop, slide, stop, and so on. Most certainly in the hands of the Mistrons. But who cares? Go ahead with the project. I will order the Spectrum helicopter to fly as low as possible over the area, in the hope that it may spot him. Huh. Meantime, good plan. Preparations for the I also like with this episode, as we said, this is Paul Maxwell and Charles Tingwell's last episode, so they let Paul Maxwell play the Mistron for a change. Let's get to the computer. I don't think he had played any Mistrons up to this point. So that's a nice nice change of pace for him. Do one Mr. On before he left. Usually, I think if you were to sort of look at the voice actors and see which among them did the most Mr. Ons or played the most Mr. Ons, it would be Gary Files um, by a considerable margin. That's for sure. Let's get a Mr. On detector from the SPV. Yeah, just in case we uh, come across any other Mr. Ons that aren't Dr. Breck. Bang on the nose. We're in business. Could you get a fix on the beam width and flux density? I also like that once Breck disappears, these two just carry on quite efficiently without him. It's almost as if they didn't really need three guys. Just in case the Mysterons are trying to pinpoint our position. Yeah, well, there's no evidence to indicate that the Mysterons know where you are, except that one of your colleagues has uh, gone missing and presumably is now a Mysteron. Keep looking. Time's running out. Oh, it's winter jacket time. Yeah, Blue gets a winter jacket for this episode, as does Captain Grey, because this seems to have been a... Let's give Paul Maxwell a proper send-off episode. We get Captain Grey up on the Spectrum helicopter um, using his Mistron detector to try and find Dr. Breck. We have Paul Maxwell searching for Paul Maxwell, oddly enough. That could be him. Captain Scott, I think Captain Grey has located Breck. And Melody gets winter gear as well. This is fun, though. This sudden bank turn of the helicopter, and it almost makes me um, sort of half want to do a spoof where Grey falls out the door because it's just so sudden and so sharp. But it's great to see the helicopter in action. It's great to see uh, Melody and Grey teaming up for, for a change. I like the helicopter. 
It uh, we found him. doesn't get too much use in the series. SIG Melody. Well, Captain Blue, he's in the rocks above us. Let's go. Check video. Video positive. It's it's so you know such a testament to the people who made these shows that you have. Um, Blue gets a winter coat here, which he later wore again in Noose of Ice. So okay, they knew they were going to get some use out of that. This is Captain Gray's basically final episode that he's going to do anything of note, and they make a winter coat for him for just that one scene. But you know that's what they were there for, and they did it very well. We know you're up there, Breck. You're a naughty man, Breck. Come on down. Oh, he's hiding behind a rock. Right. We're coming to take you. Oh, don't do that. He's got a gun. I love the way... <laughs> Scarlet Ducks recover fairly realistically. Stupid Breck. Give up before it's too... Blue just sort of tips over to the side. Too late for you, Earthman. Ooh. What does that mean? I've planted a bomb in the radio telescope's rotation. Oh, he's broken cover to tell us this. The observatory will be blown to pieces. He's quite an easy target now. Who will never beat us? Got him. We've got to warn them. There's no time. We must try. And this is just a wonderful race against time. The, the music, the pacing, the voice acting, the editing, it all combines. This last 60 seconds before we start to rotate the aerial to receive those wonderful pictures of Mars that are going to help us so much in our fight against the Mistrons. And um, the astronomers don't know that there's a bomb on the observatory. Rotate aerial. Of course, Scarlet and Blue have no way to warn them. And you just have this image of Scarlet and Blue off screen racing back to warn them. But we kind of know this is Captain Scarlet. They're not going to make it. You want them to make it because, as I said, I like what the voice actors are doing here, particularly this. Do it. This time we're going to do it. We're going to do it. My God, we're going to do it. Uh-oh. Maybe we're not going to do it. And that this is just horrific. The observatory, the, the dish tips over and you get that brief, terrible shot of the scientist just being buried in debris. And as I said, I, I find these guys somewhat likable. Um, you know, they're not bubbling with personality or anything, but I, you, know, you do feel a certain attachment to them because it's obvious that this project meant so much and at that last moment they were so excited and then it's just the Mistrons cannot let you have any fun. And this, all this debris tumbling down the mountain is just brilliant. And there's one shot here I've always, I think this is it, yeah, oh, that one glorious accident of a shot where some debris comes right into camera. And ever since I was a kid, I was always watching that shot and trying to pick out which bit it was long before it hit the camera. And the irony of this is just supreme. They got their probe to Phobos. It's now transmitting its pictures back to Earth. But of course, there's nobody there to receive it now. We have this pan from the satellite across space and then just the debris at the bottom of the mountain. Oh. K-14 Observatory has been completely destroyed. There is no chance of there being any survivors. Hmm. And we've lost our SPV. Could Melody and Grey come and pick us up? The Shadow of Fear. Oh. What is that, Colonel? Oh, Green's thinking, do I have to do I have to call for the nurse to sedate the Colonel? He's rambling again. Fear. The name is appropriate. Because of the Misrons, the whole world lives in the shadow of fear. Mm. What about... Operation Sword, sir. Operation Sword. Well, that was just a joke. Everything, Lieutenant. 
That goes ahead as scheduled. But we won't tell anybody what it is or what happens. Um, again, I, I think I mentioned before, you can kind of piece together maybe Operation Sword is a general push to return to Mars. There's evidence for that in Flight 104 and Noose of Ice, but we're not talking about them. We're talking about Shadow of Fear, and that was absolutely wonderful. That is one of my favourite episodes of Captain Scarlet. Always has been, always will be. I just love that it's such a... Not only is it a change of pace in terms of setting and, and story, it's the fact that we're, we're going back to the, the, the issue of the first episode. You know, Mars, the Mistrons, this is a looming threat. Rather than be on the defensive all the time, we should perhaps take the fight to them a bit. Maybe we should start to do something. And obviously in a show like this, an episodic show where the episodes are going to be shown in random order, you cannot build a continuing storyline. But you can, you know, point towards things going on. And I think this is a, a great development of that. I just love the setting. Love the guest characters, oddly enough. There's some real... I think it's more the voice actors than anything else, but they just do such a fabulous job with this one. And the music. The music in this one is one of my single favourite episodic scores in just the whole Anderson universe. So yeah, all round, a fantastic episode of Captain Scarlet in all departments. One of my favourites. Always has been. I think it always will be. Good stuff. Well, that's sort well, of yeah, spooky, you know, isn't yeah. it? Sort of, yeah. Shadow, Shadow of Fear. Of fear. Yeah. yeah, make no bones about it. Uh, yeah. I, I, See, I got it in. I got it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you did there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, it's better than uh, maybe, you know, Lives of the Witch and Famous. Ooh. Oh, I'm literally reading these from a website. Oh, yeah. the worst 125 Halloween puns. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't going to a party tonight dressed as a skeleton, but I had nobody to go with. Oh, yeah. really? Is that the, that's the level we're at here? Yeah, yeah, I think we'll have to leave it there. Hang on, well, I want to find one now. <laughs> oh, go on then. I need to make yeah, up for the skeleton. Hello, Terry Adlam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, these are all terrible. Pumpkin puns. Oh, good. Other Halloween yeah. puns. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, this isn't, this no, isn't going, nothing, going great. Nothing happening. No, well, uh, okay. i tell you what, though. Vampires? God, yeah. They're a pain in the neck, aren't they? Okay, that's really got this party startled. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, uh, I think you're literally looking at the same website that I'm looking at. I, I probably am. There aren't that many <laughs> that are listing Halloween puns. Anyway, thank goodness this thing's almost over. By which I mean uh, Halloween and this episode of the Jerry Hansen yeah, podcast. Chris will be back right. next time uh, with his randomizer. Please do follow him on Twitter, where he is at Chris Dalek. Uh, and he tweets all sorts of lovely stuff and you can tell him how much you love the randomizer because well you should love the randomizer don't you love the randomizer i love the randomizer richard loves the randomizer of course good that's that settled then uh anyway richard if you've got anything else before we wrap this one up uh well i just like to say you can't always get what you want <laughs> is that a halloween pun that's what it says here wow wand uh yeah 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 it's one you know witches and wizards and that yeah I, I, I'm not. I'm not really sure. About no. That all right. One. Okay. Let's let's leave it. All right. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Right. See you next week then. <laughs> okay. Ha happy Halloween, yeah. everyone. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Stage one complete. Let's go.
Wow. Yeah. Yeah, really terrible. we were really running a bit dry there at the end, weren't we? Yeah, well I would like to tell a few more skeleton jokes, but I um, don't know if you'd find them very humorous. Oh nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um um what what what's what's the skeleton's favourite food? Uh spaghetti. No, spare ribs. Oh. Of course it would be spare ribs, yeah. Yeah, that's Okay, I've literally right, scrolled it? down to the end of that webpage now, and there are no more Halloween jokes. So that's okay. mind the best of them, you've, yeah? You've already got me under your spell. Oh. How's that? Is that any good? Is, that, was it, Is it still was Halloween? Is it finished yet? Is it finished? Please, stop. no more Halloween. It's all been beautiful. No, 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 no more Halloween jokes. That's terrible. Oh, oh, all right, fine. I'll tell you what, though. You and me, Jamie. Yeah. Fiends for life. Ah, squad ghouls. That's... Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I don't even get that one. Oh. Is it you not down with the kids? No, squad goals. You know, it's like no. what you oh, want to aim for to be a group of okay. cool friends who... Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. yeah. Great. All right, then. All right. Let's, See you next let's week. Go. And it won't be Halloween anymore. Oh, thank goodness for that. Sure. Bye. All right. Bye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.